Hey guys, what's up for this episode of Flick City? This is Flick City episode 92. Eric Holmes has three interviews. Two of them are for this new movie called Walden. It's on digital and on demand as we speak as of this week, the week of December 15th, 2023. The other interview is an interview with Rick Korn, the filmmaker behind a documentary called The Father's Promise. I'm a week late in doing this. The doc came out in theaters December 8th, and I looked on, on its Instagram page December 8th through the 13th. That was when the screenings are for Father's Promise. We'll get to that in a second. But for Walden and as well as A Father's Promise, there are official websites where you can go to for further information. Maybe A Father's Promise will be screening in your neck of the woods down the road or just check on that website when it hits streaming or on digital and on demand like Walden. Okay, so for the first two interviews, Walden Eric Holmes interviews Tanya Raymond, and she plays a detective in this movie in Walden. And the second person he interviews is David Keith. He plays the judge in Walden. That movie is about a stenographer, the titular Walden Dean, played by Emil Hirsch. And Walden lives in a small town, is somewhere in the south, and he lives not a lonely life, but a sort of a solitary life. He is basically focused on getting some kind of stenography world record and he tries i think it seems like every week to break the stenography speed record and that's in one of those contests he meets his possible love interest played by kelly gardner that's one of the elements of walden but the main the main crux of walden has our hero or maybe anti-hero taking justice into his own hands after being so frustrated at seeing so many criminals walk past the courtroom where he works and there's no justice served for some of these criminals. So David Keith plays the judge and sort of a father figure to Walden Dean. Eric Holmes interviews David Keith. You might, if that name seems familiar, he was in An Officer and a Gentleman. He was in White of the Eye, The Two Jakes. For the purposes of the interview, Eric asks about his directing feature, The Curse. And he also mentions the time he played Elvis Presley in this movie called Heartbreak Hotel, which Char- which stars Charlie Schlater, and I believe it's directed by Chris Columbus. So it's only about a five or six minute interview, but it's interesting enough to check it out. He also talks about his work with Gene Hackman in Behind the Enemy Lines. So that is the second interview that I will put on this episode. The first interview was with Tanya Raymond, so check that out as well. And she's you might know her from Lost, from her work in Goliath, and she's a very interesting person as well. And she has a really cool mention regarding tremors and yeah she she loves tremors that's one of her all-time favorite movies so first tanya raymond then david keith both of them for walden finally eric interviews rick corn the director behind a father's promise and it centers on musician mark barden whose life is tragically changed after he lost his son daniel daniel was murdered at sandy hook elementary through the loss of Mark is understandably focused on finding a way to make a difference in helping prevent gun violence. So, quote, as the plot summary goes, so, quote, that no one else must go through what he and his family went through. The documentary features performances and interviews with Susan Tedeschi, Derek Trucks, Karen Fairchild of Little Big Town, Daryl DMC McDaniels, and more. Father's Promise, it's executive produced by Cheryl Crow. 
There was a lot of coverage about this documentary about a week ago, and hopefully uh, it'll survive definitely. Uh, actually, it'll definitely survive passes December 8th through 13th screening dates. Check on its official website, which I will have on the show notes for you to check out if it's playing in your neck of the woods or maybe it'll they'll make some kind of an announcement when it hits streaming all right so that is these the three interviews for this cinematics episode of this flick city episode of number 92 first two is tanya raymond david keith and finally rick horn the movies are walden and the documentary a father's promise take care guys talk to you soon thanks for supporting me eric bruce and yes anderson on this world this podcast we call cinematics take care bye yeah, I'm here with uh, Tanya Ramond, the actor in a movie called The Walden. I guess you called it a thriller. It didn't seem that way at first because uh, I wasn't quite sure what I was getting into going in. But then the movie, right. it was like, oh, cool. It's a movie about a stenographer. This will be interesting. Then it takes <laughs> a turn and becomes something completely different. What brought yeah. you onto this project? Well, the, the casting director, Shannon McCann, uh, had sent me... Uh, the script and told me a little bit about the actors that would be in it. And I was a huge fan of Emile's just because of his body of work. And I loved the idea because I, first of all, I knew nothing about stenographers, really never paid attention and had no idea kind of like how psychologically like taxing that job was. And I just thought it was a really funny idea for like a bloody revenge thriller. So I was down as soon as I read the script, I thought I had a good tone and I wanted to be involved. A lot of your scenes are mostly with Shane West, but you have yeah. actors like Emile Hirsch, and I didn't know who Luke Davis was before this movie, but holy crap, he was great in this. Yeah, um, it's creepy, just like yeah. When uh, you're a bunch of, around a bunch of actors, whether in this or you've done a lot of TV as well, does that just kind of help you, just help everyone just kind of level up their game just to kind of rise above each other? Or how, how does that work, working in a oh. group like that? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's one of the most fun parts of being on a movie is that you can you sort of you're part of a bigger team. You know, it's like one big family. It was what, what's interesting is like when you play a cop, like most of the time you're going to have a partner. And Shane and I had never met uh, until the first day that we shot. So we had to try to kind of create like a like a dynamic of cops that know each other for a long time. Plus, he's like from the South. So he's used to like small town kind of living. He knows what it's like. And for me, that's like super foreign because I'm from L.A. and I grew up in L.A. So it was a really nice dynamic for the two of us. And we played really well off of each other, you know, and it's kind of it's fun to have a partner as a cop on set because it's like having like a friend in life, you know. And in regards to like just watching the other actors performing like it's funny you're you're part of an ensemble but sometimes you don't act with everybody you know and uh and it was just great watching emil and kelly kelly garner just working on their scenes because that's almost like a whole other movie than the one we were in so it was pretty cool seeing it all piece together obviously i'm not an actor but i imagine you do tv you're playing a character for an x amount of time you have time to kind of uh, live that character and kind of develop that character over a long period of time whereas a movie, you get the script, uh, maybe you get a couple read-throughs and you're just, you're off to the races. You don't really have time to do that. What's some of the positives and negatives between working in TV where you have time to build that character and movies where you just got to go and just go for it? Well, movies, yeah, most, especially indie movies, you know, you're usually shooting very quickly and movies tend to come together kind of at the last second, like the cast says yes, and the script is put together and production goes and you go and you start shooting. Um, I'm kind of, you know, uh, it's just not, you don't have the luxury of time that you do, like on TV. TV is way more slow going. So like something like Goliath that I worked on for like four seasons, which was like a total of five and a half, almost six years, you know, you kind of 
live in the skin of the character way longer and it almost feels like real life you know this is this is it almost this is almost a different kind of experiment in acting and that it's just so fast and you have to make like quick connections immediately because you've only got two weeks and once it's done it's done and you'll see the movie in a year and you know good luck i don't really have a preference it kind of just depends on the project this project surprised me though because i couldn't really see the quirkiness and weirdness of it sort of on the page if that makes sense like when i was reading the script it sort of felt more like a classic standard thriller and what i was watching as we were shooting was like how kind of different and weirder it, it kind of was. And like that has a lot to do with Emil's performance and kind of how he decided to play the character. And I found that kind of like super cool and interesting. So it's nice to have surprises, you know, when you show up on set. Yeah, a lot of the characters have their own Emil uh, who's the obvious one in there. But then you got yeah. to write that line because like if he goes just like a little too much more, then it becomes like, all right, I pump the brakes a bit. But it, like you were perfect. I, I, you, have like, to, you have to trust yourself as an actor too. Cause like, I mean, that's what's, that's the crazy thing about acting. You don't, you have to give yourself up to it completely. You don't really know a hundred percent if it's like going to work or if it's going to be ridiculous or, you know, if it's going to, if it's going to make sense in the movie, you just have to go and try and trust them. I and that's like, that's, that's, that's just your job. You know, when, when you uh, like past parts, when you uh, were to experiment like that, how much of that comes with preparation, like trying out your character? How much of that is just uh, you trusting the director to just give you honest notes or like, uh, and maybe other actors, like uh, giving feedback mm. to each other? Like how much of that do you rely on? And when do you listen to them and go, yeah, that's a great idea. I should probably do this or that, or I appreciate it, but I got this. And It's like, it's really, honestly, like you described it really well. It's like a total combination of all things. So you're kind of like pulling from every angle. So, you you know, you have an idea of sort of what you think the character is going to be. You want to prepare as well as you can. But then when you get to set, everything sort of changes. So like, you're no longer kind of thinking about it in your head. You're in this tiny town. So we shot in Conyers, Georgia, and then we went to Madison. And these look like picture book, you know, towns from the South. And that kind of changes the way that you act right away because you hear these really pretty Southern accents everywhere. And, you know, it's like real small town living that kind of just shapes you already immediately. And then and then you've got the actors around you that are doing their own thing, especially in terms of like being a cop with a partner. You know, it isn't really just about you. It's actually just kind of about how the cops play off of one another. So all I really cared about was responding to what Shane was doing, which was cool. And then on top of it all, you've got the director who's sort of like the master puppeteer of the whole thing. That's kind of overlooking it all saying, ah, oh, try this, do this different, go ahead, improvise if you want. And Mick was very open. Mick Davis, the director, he's kind of a rock star and was sort of like very open to us trying things and, and improvising when we wanted to and going really hard and pulling back. You know, it's kind of, that's the best case scenario when all of those little elements work at the same time, you know? Well, speaking of directing, uh, you've done some directing and writing yourself. Yeah. I did, I did get to watch your uh, short, looks like a music video video for without you which i really like oh cool thanks. i looked i looked high and low for bad art and i could not find yes. it is, is that available <laughs> anywhere um you know hopefully it will be one day there were like some like uh issues with the release of that but like i'm hoping that when all is said it's done and done it'll be uh available somewhere somehow but it, it does exist you know and it was an awesome experience but i love uh i love directing and i love actors and i feel like it's a huge privilege to have been acting for so long to be able to sort of understand like all the weird shit that goes on in an actor's head. That really helps as a director. At least I know what that feels like. It, it can kind of try and find a way to, to sort of relate my experience like the other actors when I'm directing, you know, and it's a different skill, obviously, but you know, it's funny actors, uh, 
you learn a lot on set because most of the time when you're not acting, you're just sitting around waiting for stuff to happen. So you're just sitting on set watching people make a movie. And all you got to do is sit there and watch. It's it obviously it's more complicated than that, but the basics are there, you know, and you're on set all the time. You have like a front row seat to like how a movie is made. If you do it for long enough, it kind of gives you the main points of how to try and do it yourself, which is cool, you know. Yeah. Is is directing and writing something uh, you want to do more of in the future or, yeah. or are you just like locked into locked into acting? No, certainly. Uh, I mean, like, I, I really don't separate one from the other, but like, certainly I think it's like, it opens up a whole new realm of possibility. I love telling stories. I love writing. I have a lot of cool ideas and the really fun part also about being on the production side too, you know, when you're acting and dude, don't get me wrong. I actually think acting is like one of the most hardest professions on planet earth, honestly, because it's just one of those weird skills that you can't really teach. It's like either you have it or you don't, but from producing side and directing, you get to be involved in every little part of the movie up until the moment when you shoot the movie. As an actor, you kind of just show up at the last second and do your thing and leave. Um, you haven't been around for like all the steps leading up to the production. And so all that kind of stuff is really exciting and cool for an actor to see, you know, and, and I, I really like that. I did. I do have a kind of a weird question, but uh, you're an actor. You're an actor, so maybe you can uh, you can answer this. I don't know what yeah. everyone in, in Walden. I don't know what everyone's acting method is, but just like uh, sure. method acting in general, I think the most famous example I can think of is like Jared Leto playing the Joker. He would like send like used condoms and and uh, dead rats to his co-stars yeah. and. <laughs> Do you really need to do that? Do you really need to do that to get into the character? Or is that just an excuse to be an a-hole to your co-stars? And how come you'd never hear of know. method actors like playing an altruistic character that just gave away a bunch of money to homeless people or something like yeah, that? Yeah, you're right. That that would be really nice. And like not tell anybody about it ever. Yeah. And then that'd just be their process. You know, I think like, look, it's like if everybody's game, that's cool. Like if you have a rat phobia and your co-star sends you a rat in a box, like maybe that's not cool. I don't know if I'd send somebody con or something but to be honest like if your other actors are down and you're all on the same wavelength of craziness then you can kind of do whatever you want it's all just part of the fun of pretending to be somebody else and putting yourself in the mind space i think that's what those actors mean by that or, or what they're trying to do you know it's when you're playing really out there balls to the wall characters too it's hard it's hard to stay in that state of mind i mean look at like Someone like Heath Ledger, like what he went through mentally to play the Joker on his movie and how it kind of drove him nuts and everything that led to him dying. And look, I don't know if it's connected, but obviously I know that you kind of have to torture yourself a little bit to to get to those levels, especially for great performances like that. So it is also all fun and games if your co-stars are down. Yeah, send them a rat in a box. Why not? <laughs> all right. Well, it's in the mail. So <laughs> All right, sweet. Thank you. But, uh... I need a third pet. <laughs> But uh, I'll end with this. Uh, we got a uh, what's in the box segment. And in the box, we have people put movies in the box. These are movies that uh, either movies that are really personal to people or movies that they're like, this one's really good and no one ever talks about it. I wish someone would talk about it. What's a movie you would like to put in the box? Oh, man, like an unknown thing that uh, people haven't seen necessarily, maybe? I didn't have doesn't have to be it can't uh, some people do uh some people do like uh just unknown movies that no one talks about some people do movies that like someone had spider amazing spider-man 2 it was wow. just a movie people crapped on but they really liked and thought that people should kind of uh, reconsider it, I it, mean, it I, it's your movie so whatever you want to put I in got it so, i don't i mean i i'm trying to think of like something serious or something silly you know i just watched tremors again and yeah. i think it's a masterpiece 
<laughs> I would agree I with you. <laughs> I hadn't seen it since I was a kid. And, and I was, I forgot how terrifying it was. And when I was 12 years old, I worked on my first movie ever as a little kid. And the director of photography of that, this very nice man, uh, was also shot Tremors. And I remember him explaining Tremors to me. And then two days later in my hotel room alone at 12, I watched it and I was terrified. And so I just watched it again since then. It had been like so many years. And it's a, it's a perfect movie. I highly recommend it to anybody who hasn't yet seen it. Do, do you uh, do you prefer horror or comedy or drama over any of the others? Or mm, I think, well, I think I really love good horror. Like a great horror is like unparalleled. I just think it's so hard to make a really good horror movie. It's really tough. It's and there's so much out there, you know. And I don't scare super easily, so. So it depends. I mean, I guess the bar is a bit high, but I mean, a well, really well-constructed horror, I love. Otherwise, I'll I'll really watch anything. I'm a fan of comedy, too. <laughs> yeah. I, it it yeah. seems that horror would be the fun one, which is weird that, because comedies exist. So you would think it would be would... fun to direct a horror movie. Yeah. I think that'd be an interesting challenge because all the stuff that I've done so far, music videos, the movie, the stuff that I'm writing now. Uh, yeah. None of it is horror, really. So I, I'd be very curious to what it's like to, 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 to try and write a good horror. It's a big challenge. Yeah, well, uh, Tanya, thanks for joining me. And for Thank everyone, uh, Walden is on demand and digital December 12th. And hope it does well, because uh, it was, a, it was yeah. a pretty good thriller. And congratulations. Thank you so much, Eric. I appreciate it. I'm here with uh, David Keith, star of the movie Walden, Judge Boyle. When I was talking with uh, Tanya, it just seemed like a drama piece about a stenographer and then takes a turn. And then I'm looking up kind of your history and you've worked uh, with uh, Protect to help protect children of child abuse, which kind of fits in with kind of where Walden goes. Uh, was, yeah. did, did any of that come into play when reading the script uh, yeah. or being brought on to not, this project? Not, not because, well, no, the script was already written. But yeah, when I read it, I went, oh, yeah, this is about my cause in life. I no longer am active with Protect, but for 10 years, we lobbied for stricter child, for uh, stricter laws on child molesters and child protection legislation all over the country and in Washington. And uh, I just think an adult who hurts a child for their own satisfaction is the, the worst form of evil on the planet. It's always just that I just decided that was going to be my target uh, in my give back. Yeah. So when I read this, I went, okay, this is about some pretty serious stuff. Well, that's a, it's a noble cause. I'm uh, glad to see uh, you kind of took action even in the past, which is well more than I've done. So thank you for that. You got time. You still have time. <laughs> yeah. Well, but uh, I, I guess uh, get into some acting stuff because you've been acting a lot. In fact, uh, I looked up one of your earlier jobs was you have a stunt credit for Terror Circus. That's you know? that's an incorrect credit. And I've oh. never been able to get get that taken off. Why? Why do you suppose that's on there? Is someone? Is there another no clue? Oh, okay. Well, there we go. So no stunts, but uh, is the uh, directing credits correct? Because I did see the curse, and I did like the curse quite a bit. Oh, cool. Thank you. Yeah, I made that for six hundred grand. Uh, uh, yes, I directed that, and I directed um, uh, the further adventures of Tennessee Buck. Yep. Those yeah. are correct. I saw the uh, trailer for that, and I was like, "I got to see this. This looks like so up my alley." But with the with the curse, you've worked was uh, Lucio Fulci was the, one of the producers on that. Man, we're talking about 1986. <laughs> I'm not sure that I can remember all the, the names. 
that were involved back then. We had an Italian producer. We had Israeli an Israeli film company in L.A. And, you know, it was people were all over the place. We shot half the movie on my farm in Tennessee and the other half in a studio in Rome, Italy. Oh, that's fun. Well, I guess I was just kind of talking about acting. Uh, when I was talking with Tanya, we talked about like a kind of when you get to work with a bunch of great actors, it kind of helps helps you level up to kind of bring everyone up at their top game. What's kind of your thoughts on that as far as uh, acting goes and just, just working with people in general? Oh, uh, it's always great when you're in there with somebody who has a deep well of ability. I'll give you a case in point. I, I, I did a movie called Behind Enemy Lines and the three hours that I spent shooting that one scene where Gene Hackman and I kind of go head to head was... Uh, to this day, the greatest three hours that I've ever spent as an actor. He is absolutely fathomless when it comes to digging deep and going, you know, the deeper the emotion that I would get into, he would go this, it was just wonderful. It was a joy. Yeah, I've been a fan of Gene Hackman, and if I and but I'm not an actor, but I've always heard that he's like one of the best ones. But what's something that he does that uh, you as an actor would pick up that me as a layperson probably wouldn't? Uh, not sure how to answer that question. I mean, you know, when you this is a conversation I had with Emil because Emil is one of those actors that, you know, when you get the line right, when you really know you delivered a line properly. It's like the ringing of a, of a tuning fork. It's like it rung, you know, it's like, dong, you know it. And Emil said he felt the same thing. And I think that's something that maybe lay people don't, you know, I call them civilians. Maybe <laughs> civilians uh, are, are not privy to, but I, I've, I've used it all my life. I know when the tuning fork rings and I've said the line right. And I generally say, you know, on that take, I think I really got that right. So that's my favorite, you know, delivery. So kind of like one of those, you know it when you see it sort of things. Well, you know it when you feel it. Yeah. And I, actually, uh, you're working with Emil Hirsch again on Degenerate coming out. Um, That's right. Yeah, we've finished the film, but we're, we're in post-production on it now. And yeah, it was great. Great working with him twice in a row. I guess I'll just uh, go with, we have a uh, What's in the Box segment. And in this segment, we have people put in movies that uh, they really like, that they think are underseen. Uh, what's a movie that's, that you like that you're like, that was really good. I wish more people would see that. A movie that I was in or any movie? Actually, both, because you've you've had uh, quite a good career. I'd, I'd like to get well, one the, that the, you were the in movie, and I, then one that you that you like that you've seen. Yeah. Well, it would. I'd have to give more thought to a movie I like that I wish had more attention, but of my movies heartbreak hotel where i played elvis and sung a lot of the music myself sung a lot of the songs myself that's kind of a sleeper film that i was in that that i would wish more people would see all right walden is on demand and on digital december 12th and uh this uh, this was a really good movie yeah congratulations on another banger thanks man how you doing eric oh not bad how you doing today i'm doing good Doing good. Back in New York. Sweet. Well, I'm here with uh, Rick Korn, the uh, writer, director of the documentary A Father's Promise. I also just uh, recently watched your other documentary about Harry Chapin, When in Doubt, Do Something. Both documentaries have a lot in common in that kind of on the surface, they're music docs, but they go a lot deeper. With Harry Chapin, it's about him wanting to, uh, you know, he has his own political uh, aspirations of 
uh, Hunger and uh, Father's Promise, you have uh, Mark Barden, who uh, had a horrible tragedy uh, with his son dying at Sandy Hook and wanted to uh, go about that. I, I guess, uh, what's your ambition? Uh, your interest in documentaries seem to align with the music and how it can be. Yeah, we all know that music is joyful, but it can also uh, affect change in certain ways and bring people together. What's your what, what's your ambitions and interests uh, as far as that goes? Well, you you nailed it. Um, there are some. It's it's great. It's funny that you say that because there are real similarities between Harry and Mark. Um, Harry being that uh, you know artist activist, and Mark getting back to his music. Uh, you know, trying to find that balance between. Um, what he does at Sandy Hook Promise and what he calls his real self uh, and and the music. Um, but I'm glad you, you mentioned the similarities. In fact, um, so do the Chapins feel that way. Uh, and they've, they've been to a number of uh, our docu-concerts that we've done at, uh, with, with uh, Mark. And we have an award that we're giving away, three awards that we're giving away called Ch- the Chapin, Cragen, Belafonte, humanitarian award um harry after harry chapin and ken cragen who's the the great uh uh, manager who pulled together we are the world and hands across america and harry belafonte who was the great artist activist uh yeah there's there are similarities between between all three that was really perceptive a lot of what Mark has done has uh, been trying to do what he can to stop sh- school shootings, uh, whether through gun laws or letting people know about school shootings and what can be done to prevent those uh, well beyond. Because, I mean, I'm not going to lie, uh, gun gun laws are an uphill battle, obviously, but there's got to be other ways to go about that. And they seem to uh, kind of lean in on those as well. I think Mark says it best in the film, and we were talking about it earlier today, that, you know, it takes a long time for Washington to act. You know, when we interviewed Senator Chris Murphy, he made that point very, very clear. Uh, it, it, it just, they move very slowly in Congress. And Mark said, you know, I think Mark's stance at the point that the background check bill failed in 2013, he said, you know, we, we've got to do this ourselves. Uh, so let Washington be Washington. It's, it's going to take time. But there are things that we can do as individuals, not just as artists or filmmakers, uh, that can help prevent gun violence in our communities. Uh, things like volunteering, um, and, and it doesn't mean that you vo- necessarily that you have to volunteer uh, for a gun violence prevention organization, but you you can volunteer for an after-school uh, music program or a sports program that keeps kids out of gangs and off the streets and safe and fed. Uh, and, and so, you know, our focus with this film and what we're doing with Artists for Action and uh, what Mark's focus is with Sandy Hook Promise is, you know, there are things we can do and they've created these programs that are in all 50 states. Uh, and that is pretty amazing. You know, they're making progress that way. And letting Washington be Washington. What What do you think um, with the Harry Chapin documentary, and maybe uh, hopefully what what this documentary can bring forth? Like, what's some success you've had with the Harry Chapin documentary that's kind of uh, shed light on his uh, hunger issue? And 
And with that, what do you kind of hope that uh, maybe similar or hopefully more because, uh, I mean, hunger is bad, but uh, school shootings are unfortunately very prevalent. What are some, uh, I, I guess, what's the idealistic hope that this uh, documentary can bring forth? Well, you know, with with the Harry uh, documentary, Harry had started in 1975. Uh, he had started Why Hunger, uh, which is a very big organization now, and they have a lot uh, of media coverage. They they do their Hungerthon every year, which is on Sirius radios and other radio stations around the country. Um, so they get a a lot of media, which was the point. When Harry and Bill Ayer started uh, Why Hunger, it was really going to be more of a media organization to get out there and let people know that there are things they can do about hunger. In our particular case, um, we're, we're starting at that same point where, you know, um, we're hoping that this documentary will enable people to do something about gun violence, you know, point them in the right direction. We have three things. We've got number one, volunteer. Number two, if you can, donate. And number three, vote. Uh, voting is really, really important because that's what's holding up some of these common sense gun laws because you've got you know, way too many uh, politicians that are uh, you know, getting money from the NRA. And um, you know, that movement has a lot of move- money to it. You know, what we're trying to do is match and surpass that movement with a movement for, you know, gun violence prevention. Has there been any, oh, has there been any thought to, I would say, raising security in schools, but I I think honestly having any security in schools, because you don't see like, for instance, you don't hear of mass shootings at a courthouse and, you know, you don't hear of mass shooting at, uh, you know, any number of places and these places what they have in common is they have security as opposed to schools or even uh uh here in colorado uh it was years ago we had that shooting at the batman movie and right. their response to that was put a sticker on the front that said don't bring guns in and i'm like i think you can do a little better than that yeah well there's two things um one yeah uh, you know schools uh and play other places like movie theaters and uh bowling rinks and so forth um you know it, it it's hard to put um metal detectors in every place it's very expensive but what can be done is preventing these tragedies from happening in the first place right yeah. uh and that's sandy hook promises focus and we're leaning into that because if you take the main lewiston main shooting that happened uh, a couple of weeks ago that horrible shooting that was so, that that could be the poster child for preventing gun violence because they had that guy every which way they you know his army reserve unit warned um his family warned uh his place of employment work warned but they had a law called the yellow uh I forget what they call it but the yellow gun law that was just a yield oh you know just a caution but not hey, this guy could do something here. You know, let's make sure that he doesn't get his hands on guns and let's make sure he gets the help that he or she needs. It's mostly men. He he needs to, uh, you know, make sure that it doesn't happen. 
Yeah. And even that I figure would be kind of difficult just because it's like a minority report thing. Like, like uh, people show the signs, but you can't arrest them for something they haven't done yet. And so that, that yeah. gets quite difficult, I would imagine. Well, you don't need to arrest them, but you, you need to prevent them from buying a gun. Yes. You know, or if they have a gun, make sure it's taken out of the, the household safely. Uh, and that, you know, I mean, uh, just with a friend of mine whose son-in-law um, was acting erratic, kind of bipolar, and he has a gun in the house. So they made sure they got the gun out of that. Yeah. And and so those kinds of things, not arrest them, but you get them the help that they need, but make sure that firearm is nowhere near him or children or yeah maybe even maybe even take a uh you know see something like this and maybe take a closer look at your friends and family like hey jimmy uh why don't you why don't you let me take that gun from you You, you're kind of and in fact let me see if i can get you some help because uh i I don't want to see you on the news exactly and there are laws that are on the books i i know they have it in california they have it in connecticut they have it in new york and a variety of, of states where if someone is showing signs of any of these signs and there's a gun in the household, you can get a restraining order and the police will come and take the gun away. So there are those those kinds of laws on the book. Well, uh, we'll go with something a little funner uh, than uh, <laughs> gun violence. Uh, <laughs> but uh, we have a what's in the box segment. And in the box, uh, we have people put in movies that they uh, that they really like and or that they think are underseen. It's like that movie's really good. No one talks about it. I wish they would. Uh like to put you have you put one of those movies in the box. And also given uh this movie and your Harry Chapin, what's the what's a documentary that would go good with uh would make a good triple feature with this and the Harry Chapin documentary? Well oh that's a great question. I, I think the, there's been some great documentaries out there that are music-oriented documentaries that you can also learn from. And I I don't think there's another gun violence prevention documentary, even though they're out there, that would pair well with this because we went out of our way to make sure our documentary wasn't that. For me, another documentary that I did and worked on uh, was Hank Aaron Chasing the Dream which was, I think it would pair great with this, even though it's not music. Um, but it was it's about Aaron's civil rights life while he was approaching Babe Ruth's home run record. And there were threats against his life if he hit, you know, Babe Ruth, match Babe Ruth's home run record. And that's a great documentary because you see someone who's a professional athlete and they're stepping outside of themselves because they're really concerned about, in this case, you know, you know, in racial injustice and so forth. And he teamed up with Martin Luther King. So I think that would be the perfect pairing, not that not because I was part of that production team, but just because I think it fits. It fits what we like doing. I'm not looking to do it, you know, just a fluffy documentary. You know, I'm looking to do something with substance and music. And, you know, that, but I would say Hank Aaron chasing the dream. Yeah. The fluffy documentaries definitely have their place because especially after watching something like this is like, I just need to watch something. Oh, I, I I love, by the way, I, I love, you know, the fluffy documentaries. I watch them all the time. Uh, Every weekend I'm watching documentaries like that to kind of get out of that head. But one of the things that we, we did with, we tried to do with this film is, 
you know, if you notice the we, we after the first five or six minutes of the film, we don't bring up that day, you know, December 14th, 2012 at all. We go on with Mark's life and his journey and then his rediscovery of music. And, you know, so we hope to leave people with a sense of hope, yeah. you know, in, inspiration and hope. And that's really my goal, which I think separates us from not knocking the other gun violence prevention films because they're, they're great. But we wanted to make something where, you know, people felt good after the film and not sad. And, you know, we we leave them with with Cheryl's song and, and, and it gives hope. Yeah, it's, a, it's really good. I enjoy it. Well, enjoyed it, I guess is, is a weird way to say it, but yeah. I, I appreciated it quite a bit. Yeah. And uh, you have the uh, world premiere of this on December Friday, this Friday, December 8th, as we're recording this. And it looks like you have a uh, concert to go along with it, which is amazing because with uh, music docs like this, I'm like, why don't you do a a like the bands are right there. It it makes sense. And it looks like you're doing that on December 7th. Yeah, the day before. Um, Yeah, we um, uh, everything I do, um, even with the Harry uh, film, uh, we uh, like doing what I call docu concerts, uh, which are uh, uh, concerts to tell a story. So on Thursday, I know you're in Colorado, you can't come, but we'll send you a, a tape of it. Um, uh, but um, it, it, we, what we like to do is to to tell to create concerts that tell a story, and not depressing stuff. You know, uplifting stuff, and it also gives me the chance to use some footage that we didn't use in the film that is great footage but it gets cut because it doesn't work or for one reason or we're trying to get down to 98 minutes so it gives me the ability to do that and they're all up, uplifting pieces they're poignant but uplifting and so every so we will do a video then three songs and the songs relate to the video that you just saw then we do a video three songs, so on and so forth. Until this week, we get to, after that last video uh, of the show, we have eight songs in a row with, you know, between Mark, uh, his daughter, uh, Natalie, and Peter Frampton and Cheryl Crow. Rick, thank you for joining me today. And I wish you great success with this documentary. And anyone, I like, obviously, the the whole gun control debate is, uh, you know, polarizing sides. But I think even with people that are uh, against gun control for reasons that, okay, whatever, but there's a bunch of great music in this. So maybe uh, maybe they can just watch it for the great music and hopefully uh, seed will be drilled in their head and something will grow from that. That's what we hope for. That's what we hope for. Eric, thank you for having us. And, uh, you know, um, let us know if you need anything else from us. Oh, yeah. I definitely would love to see any video for that uh, show on Thursday. I wish I could. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. No, we'll, we'll, we'll send that to you for sure. All right. Well, thank you, Rick. All right, Eric. Thank you.